if you're coming to a virtual meeting, have an agenda, figure out what you're trying to do. Don't spend any more time than is necessary to get what you need to done. And then one of the most important things is as you come out of a meeting, I hate to use a corporate buzz term of action items, but have the action items that you need and who's assigned to those and when they need to be able to get those done. Not just these are the things that came out of the meeting, but who's actually going to do something so that the next time that we come into a virtual meeting, those things will have hopefully made progress or be done and we can continue. Welcome to Modern Business Operations, where we talk with leaders about how ops is adapting to our modern world. Hello, everyone. Welcome for another episode of Modern Business Operations. Today, I have the pleasure of hosting Mark, the Chief Cloud Operation Officer of OneStream Software. My name is Sagi. I'm the CEO and founder of Tonkin. And Mark, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Saji. So... I am the Chief Cloud Operations Officer of OneStream Software, and what that really means is that I'm responsible for all of support for our product operations, as well as all of our, our customer operations. Tell us a little bit more of uh, OneStream too, like what you guys are all about. So we have a software package that we provide. We started out primarily for the office of the CFO. It is corporate performance management software. What that means for the layperson is that we handle all of the critical financial data, the operational data for large companies typically, but we do have some mid-market and smaller companies as well. Think the largest companies in the world are sort of uh, bread and butter customer base. And we focus on taking all of their financial and operational data and putting it into one place, giving it one central pane of glass and being able to do financial consolidations, planning, reporting, even all sorts of operational analytics and integrating with other platforms as well so that you can have one central place to manage your business's performance. Definitely needed. How did you get to the head of cloud operations? What is your story? Everyone's story is a little bit different when it comes to operation leaders. Yeah, it sure is, isn't it? So my story is interesting. I come from a, wow, it's been over 25 years now worth of technical background. Started in tech support as somebody who was just answering the phone and, and taking care of desktop computers and servers and the like. I worked my way up through the entertainment industry originally, working for an arena of all places. That was pretty interesting wow. to start with. And then going through a small software startup for a number of years, doing everything from support of technology to customer service to our core focus, which was predictive analytics on the home entertainment industry. and went into manufacturing, working in a lot of different roles, primarily focused on IT, but everything from project management to service delivery to service desk operations, everything in that, in that vein. And then found my way here to OneStream, back to a software company again, where I, I've been the happiest working in software. And I've been here for a little over six years. And we have just had tremendous growth. This has been very interesting to work in a company that has this type of growth over the short time period, as I'm sure you are familiar with. Being in the startup world and then being a high growth company can be very interesting, but it's very exciting. We have a, a lot of large companies, as I said, as customers, and it's a very interesting thing to go and see how all of these companies run their business. It's amazing to me, actually, is always has this question about the story and it's always surprising where people are coming to it. 
that manufacturing is actually trying to be a real thing, especially for technical folks. But fascinating. Maybe to attach to your last point, it's definitely a wild, crazy ride, you know, to be living a startup world, especially when there's significant growth. And I think cannot ignore the last few years going from full uncertainty to the massive, massive inflation of capital into the tech market. And then obviously this year where things are looking much different. What is less about maybe the specific of one stream, but more of as a leader in operation, what is that meant for you guys? How do you navigate those waters? Yeah, I mean, you said it very nicely. The ups and downs that that we've been through over the course of the last couple of years have been extreme. And that is everything from sending everybody home and saying, oh, tomorrow you're going to be home for the foreseeable future, making sure that we have the connectivity and workplace for everybody to be able to make that work effectively from home, dealing with people's home internets and all of the things that go along with that was an initial challenge. And then, as you said, the sort of unexpected boom that happened in some industries as a result of the pandemic for us being in corporate performance management, we actually had a time where businesses really had to focus on planning their financials and what they were going to do to get through that. So we did really well to get through this, fortunately. OneStream has continued to do really well and continues to gain in the market. But that meant that we had to do the typical startup growth phase over the course of the pandemic, which for anybody who's familiar with startups and fast growth, that is a huge challenge in a normal sort of market, right? To try to do that throughout the pandemic was just that much more of a challenge to try to enable everybody remotely. When we were not a 100% remote company, we were partially remote before the pandemic, but we were not 100% remote before the pandemic. And we had to switch to 100% remote and figure out how to be successful growing by hundreds and hundreds of employees more than half of our company was hired since 2020, which is a significant growth cycle and trying to figure out working through onboarding, working through process procedure, how do you get employees to make those bonds with other employees they normally would have around the office water cooler or on a lunch break or or what have you, trying to, to enable that remotely while the technology could be put in place to have conversations like you and I are having today, the human element has been and continues to be a very big challenge to get the different departments within the company to operate effectively together. Can I agree more? We went through a similar situation where our biggest growth happened during those two and a half years. I'm sure a lot of people felt similarly, whether they had as much growth as you guys all of us kind of felt that change. What are some of the tactics or tips or things that you felt worked for you guys or things you've tried and maybe were not as successful? You talked about the water cooler, walking down the hallway type of concept. I don't know if you're kind of familiar with the like original Apple always design where they would put teams in different areas so they'll force them to meet in the hallway to go to the bathroom or something serendipitously, but like not really because it was sort of like planned. Those are like where I feel like personally meetings became the only way to sort of do anything done 
and then it's the worst thing ever. Never you know you're back to back to back to back and you're always late and your back is breaking for like looking at Zoom screen. So I think a lot of people can relate to this. So any tips or things that worked or didn't work for you guys would I think would be interesting. Yeah, let me try to unpack that. Video conferencing fatigue is certainly a real thing. This was a big challenge for us. Obviously, day two, when you go home, you send everybody home and say, okay, now we have to work from home. By the way, here's your laptop and here's some things. We take some monitors home and we had to struggle to, to get everybody set up. Once they were set up and we had a sense of normalcy of how to, to communicate on our video conferencing technology, then it was, okay, how do we change our processes so that you can still have a similar interaction, maybe, that you might have had in an office? Fortunately, we were already split up. We had since our founding of this company into three core areas around the U.S. and then another core area in EMEA. So we already had some of that remoteness, but you still had a lot of the cohesiveness of a group of people being in an office together on a daily basis. So we tried to schedule meetings and we tried to have people turn their cameras on and quickly found out that people wanted to try to suddenly work from home with sweatpants on or pajama pants on or slippers or whatever it is. And they may not have put their makeup on for the day or whatever it was. It was hard to get engagement. And it continues to be to this day. I'm not sure that we've really gotten it right yet, but we found ways to say, okay, if we're going to have a meeting that has more than two people, let's try to have a firm agenda says, okay, when you're coming to this meeting, and this is a good thing for on-premises on as well, but if you're coming to a virtual meeting, have an agenda, figure out what you're trying to do. Don't spend any more time than is necessary to get what you need to done. And then one of the most important things is as you come out of a meeting, I hate to use a corporate buzz term of action items, but have the action items that you need and who is assigned to those and when they need to be able to get those done. Not just these are the things that came out of the meeting, but who's actually going to do something so that the next time that we come into a virtual meeting, those things will have hopefully made progress or be done and we can continue. So often we had a lot of times where you would have meetings where people came to and were so busy, like you said, running from meeting to meeting to meeting because now we don't have to walk down the hallway. It was just unclick from one meeting and click down to the next one that your brain doesn't have that time to reset. And you're unprepared completely for that meeting. And you spend 15 minutes of a half an hour meeting trying to figure out where you're at, what you're doing, and how to move forward. And that was completely unproductive. As I said, I'm not sure that we've gotten perfect at this, but that's one of the things I try to tell my folks to do is to come with an agenda and leave with action items that are assigned with a time frame associated with them. One of the other things that I try to tell people to do is to set aside time in their schedule so that they're not doing this back-to-back business constantly. I know it's sort of unavoidable, and I don't want people to go into their off hours, which should be their uh, their personal time, as much as possible. But blocking off what I would consider focus time, there's other names for it, but things so that you can get stuff done and sort of recover from whatever that last conversation is that you had and go into the next conversation having hopefully maybe prepared a little bit, read ahead, so that you know what you're talking to as soon as that meeting starts. That has helped tremendously. 
but we're still dealing with a lot of challenges even to this day. This episode is brought to you by Tonkin. Tonkin is the operating system for business operations, providing businesses with the building blocks to orchestrate any process with no code or change management required. Contact us at Tonkin.com to learn how you can build complex processes fast. And if you're interested in staying up to date on all things business operations, join the AdaptiveOps community at operations.community. It's, it's funny you mentioned the sort of like heads down or like focus time as well. Like I feel like when the pandemic started, like maybe like a month in, we literally did a training for the company on calendar management. You know, it's all those things you don't even think about because like, you know, as when you go through management ranks, starting by yourself, and then, you know, if you're senior enough, you maybe have like executive assistants, so on like calendar management becomes like very, very important piece because most of your work becomes that sort of like interaction with other people through through meetings in your calendar. But the rest of the organization is not you know, so used to it. They always, everyone always had meetings, even pre-pandemic, but it wasn't necessarily all-consuming as it is. And so literally a simple skill like how to manage your calendar effectively, literally with you know, how to use color-coded calendar, you know, th- things like are not obvious uh, was very useful for us as well. And of course, the concept of type of meetings, meetings that are agenda-based, like you said, with clear action items versus meetings that are maybe more brainstorming meetings and so like have like expectations of what is this meeting is about. Maybe switch gear a little bit and going to sort of like your purview as well as an executive and as cloud operation leader. We kind of like always talk about that remote work being on a personal level. So like what it means for a person and a team to go remote out of the blue. I think another important things that happened through that cycle that is further than the pandemic, right? Through the boom and now back, that is interesting to talk about is also the impact this had and ha- still have on resource allocation, hiring, talent management, things around like, you know, even salaries, it used to be so much easier. <laughs> you had the team in uh, Chicago and you had a team in Austin and you had a team in San Francisco. Again, I'm just making things up, right? There is a salary bands for each of those areas because the cost of living is different and so on and so forth. If you hire for the Austin office versus if you're hiring for the San Francisco office, you're using different talent pools. So maybe some roles you better hire there or, or here. And all of this sort of like went out of the, the the window with the financial boom that happened, especially around tech, but but otherwise too. And the fact that everyone on remote now means that the pool of people is now global. You can literally hire from anywhere. So the plus side of it, you can now hiring from anywhere. The downside of it though, how do you price it? How do you retain it? And leading to today where the market took a turn to the other side, and you see massive companies are also sort of like tidied up and a lot of more conservative view into like, okay, how much do we spend? Do we need to spend that much to get that many and so on and so forth? What is your, maybe like, again, trying to take it to the more personal level to like, what is your team and your kind of responsibility around that was? And also for your guys' customers, right? You talked about planning. 
there's a lot of change that kind of moved drastically between how do I leverage and all this capital, which is all of a sudden, how do I sort of like scale back? And as always, any observations on that? Yeah, that has hit us pretty hard. The whole idea, software industry and what's happened over the course of the last few years. Now, it has been a game of musical chairs, essentially, right? Like you said, you go from a regional or even local situation of sort of salary banding based on cost of living, which seemed very reasonable. The cost of living in the Bay Area, where you happen to be, is it's much, much higher than the cost of living in the Great Lakes Rust Belt, where I happen to be. Now, we have that benefit of being able to hire anybody anywhere in the world. Wonderful. Great. We have this huge talent pool that we didn't have in a circle in Southeast Michigan, where, where I happen to be. However, that means all of a sudden you have people in the middle of the country or in an off market where the cost of living is, is quite cheaper, who are seeing salaries out there now being shared openly on the internet and wanting the same salary banding. Rightly so. As an employee, I completely understand that. But as a company and a management structure, trying to keep up with those ever-evolving changes, and then the laws with the, the open salary requirements for remote positions that happened in now more than one state, has created an environment of, I think, playing catch-up, and where we've had to work very tightly with our HR department to say, okay, how do we not blow the budget, right? We're, we, you know, the most expensive part of running almost any company is the people, right? The payroll. How do you not blow your budget and make sure that you continue to be a successful company, especially in pandemic potential downturn? We weren't sure what was going to happen there and still provide retention for your employees and make sure that you're providing mobility into both their salary banding as their position exists today, but also other promotional opportunities in a growth company like ours within the company and still attracting talent from the outside. That was the biggest challenge for us was when you're bringing in new talent from the outside and it's changing, and now if suddenly you have to offer 20, 30 grand more, or, or maybe even more, to hire that new person that's essentially got the same set of skills, what do you do to the tens, twenties, hundreds, whatever it is of people that you already have on the payroll that may have the same or a similar skill set? Or even worse, do you re-level up your entire staff every time? Do you create new roles and hire people into that? So we did sort of all of the above. We went back to the well several times and said, okay, how do we re-level this and make sure that it's going to be appropriate and fair to everybody? And also, if we are truly hiring somebody that's going to maybe do a more advanced level, then let's create another level there that makes sense so that there's not the sense of unfairness there. And we saw, to your point, the same thing happening not just in software, but with all of our customers, who OneStream is a, one of our core competencies is people planning and capital planning. And that's something they were using our platform for, is to try to keep up with all of the changes in the industry. Fortunately, I think people have made it through it, at least to date. Now we're dealing with a whole new set of, as you mentioned, inflation and economic downturn and stock market instability and all that. It continues to be top of mind. And there is no one single silver bullet answer as to how to deal with this. The best thing I think that we, I, the advice I can give to anybody listening is constant communication 
both understanding the street and what's going on, listening to the market, being in communication with, we call it people ops within the company, and making sure that the different departments within your company are understanding the talent pools and how they're getting hired into different roles. And if you have roles that are similar in different departments, being on the same page so that you're not hiring at a completely different rate. I definitely agree. I think maybe just to add one more thought on that, what's interesting about the shift of the markets is shifts of the markets always happen, but how quickly they happen now, where all of a sudden, great, you leveled up everyone because the market sort of like all of a sudden was hot and there was a lot of open positions. And then less than a year after, it's the opposite. So what do you do now? Do you level down? That would not go well. So it's like, you know, this is a bigger topic for another day, but there's an interesting retrospect of, of sort of like responsibility and personal responsibility too, that you never would have had to expect from an employee, for example, because it doesn't matter. They leave with that area. That's just like the market sort of like define it for them. And all of a sudden there is authority in the fact that you can live wherever you want and you can still do the work. And that authority comes with expectations, but they also should come with accountability. And it's very hard because that is not defined. No one will be like, oh, sorry, I know the market was hot, so I asked for more and now the market is not. And so I'm going to take my salary down. Right? Like, and again, I don't blame anyone. Is that, that's not how the social contract work. But in reality, that's what happened. And then you end up with downsizing companies because they don't have any other option. Now they can't afford right. that 30% increase or 30K increase as you described. So anyway, this is fascinating. And I think it's just important in general. Sometimes it's creating the transparency and visibility to the dynamics of it. Social media as well as our traditional media can be very black and white, lack of like truth or like the scheme of colors that it takes to get to this point. It's like everything great or everything's like terrible. And there's actually very interesting dynamics in between. I want to touch on last maybe point. You know, you mentioned the different, you talk about people office, you talk about, you know, the alignment between different operation teams. And I think, in, you know, in our prep conversation, you kind of described your role as a little bit of an orchestrator and kind of making this all orchestra play together. Do so you mind like spend like a couple minutes describing what you mean by that and how it comes to life? Sure. So I tend to describe myself as an orchestrator or a conductor, I think would probably be a better way of putting that. That's what I truly enjoy is not necessarily sitting down at the keyboard while I can do that, not necessarily sitting down and, and doing the actions myself, but making sure that all the actions are happening around me. And I've done that traditionally within my own departments that I'm obviously responsible for, but also trying to figure out how do we, you know, with operations it really crosses over into a lot of different areas of the company and saying, okay, what should our contract language be? What are our SLAs? What is our credit language? We're talking about people ops or HR, what does our hiring plan look like? How do we deal with all the situations that are happening there from a human capital standpoint? Um, financials. So we are operating a SaaS company. So one of our largest cost buckets is hosting and all the other things that from a technology standpoint go along with that and managing the finances of that and trying to project that so there's a large conversation that happens in overlap with finance and then when you change policy when you change uh, contract language when you develop something new even technically sales marketing they all have to be enabled and be able to understand what the go-to-market action is 
for that, right? And that's not just a, hey, we changed this thing, good luck. It is, let's figure out how to work with you and make sure that we're lubricating that contract cycle, that sales cycle, every time that we try to get a new customer and making sure that we're not creating barriers, but we're making the job easier to get that revenue in the door while still being reasonable about what we need to do from a cost perspective and an operational perspective. Sometimes it's not a direct cost, but it's an operational soft cost, right? Oh, that's going to take 10 people a lot of time to just manage that thing because there's not a real technical solution to it. That's different than having to lay out a, a capital expenditure of a million dollars, right? But even though it's OPEX, not CAPEX, it may end up still costing the company the same or even more in that soft cost. So working with all the different departments within the company, even again, we're a software company. So the implementation of our platform for every customer is a large effort as well. Staying in contact with our our partner community, making sure that they understand how we work, making sure that our own partner enablement departments and we have another thing called AES, which helps to make sure the design of the implementation and software works correctly. And just coordinating between all of those different departments, which obviously, yes, coordinate with each other themselves, but trying to stitch in there and say, okay, there's a common thread, which is we have to make sure that as a customer operates on a daily basis, 24 7, 365 days a year, they have to be successful. We do have a customer success department, and they are a critical part of this, but operations tends to be the one that's at the bottom of the can that always picks stuff up from the floor. You know, if it falls through everybody else, it's going to fall on us, and it can't fall any further because we're on the hook for making sure that we keep everything up and running successfully. I think it's summarized everything we talked about actually pretty well, because I don't think there's ever been a time, at least not in our professional lifetime, where creating the standardization, having that sort of like, we call it orchestration, that sort of like purview of making sure things don't fall through and making sure things are thought through has been more in need. So thank you so much for this time. I learned a lot. If people want to go on and get in touch with you, either in Twitter and LinkedIn, what would be the best way? I, yeah. So if anybody wants to, to get in touch with me, LinkedIn is usually the best way. Mark W. Angle, A-N-G-L-E. I do have a, a Twitter account and I do tweet from time to time, but it's more off-color, maybe personal stuff sometimes. I try to reserve that for personal stuff and not necessarily work stuff, although it sort of mixes in once in a while. Yeah, that's the best way to get a hold of me. And then obviously, onestream.com or onestreamsoftware.com, both go to us and can get information on both me because I'm on the leadership page, but also the company uh, writ large to uh, get information about what we do. Awesome. Well, Mark, that was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Appreciate you having me. Absolutely. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Modern Business Operations. You can see the show notes and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode at tonkin.com slash mbopod. Thank you for listening and be sure to subscribe for updates on future episodes. 